This is our defense, intent. No one can prove there is poison on the rag. Code red, they're common and accepted in Guantanamo Bay. The order, A, Kendrick gave it. B, they had no choice but to follow it. That's it. What about motive? We're a little weak on motive. They had one. Just because a person has a motive doesn't mean they're guilty. Relax, we'll deal with the fence line shooting when it comes up. For now, we start with intent. I don't know what made Santiago die. I don't want to know. I just want to be able to show it could have been something other than poison. Joe, talk to doctors. Find out everything there is to know about lactic acidosis. My father always said a jury trial is not just about the law. It's about assigning blame. Santiago's dead, and he shouldn't be. These nine people are going to insist that someone be blamed for that. Ross is handing them our clients. We're going to hand them Kendrick. This is about a sales pitch. It's not going to be won by the law. It's going to be won by the lawyers. So remember, poker faces. Don't flinch in front of the court members. Something doesn't go our way. Don't hang your head. Don't shift in your seat. Don't scribble furiously. Whatever happens, you have to look like it's exactly what you knew was going to happen. Doctor, was there any sign of external damage? No. Scrapes? No. No cuts? No. Bruises? Broken bones? No. Doctor, was there any sign of violence? You mean other than the dead body? Hi everyone, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that clip from a movie called A Few Good Men. Don't know if you guys remember that scene, but I watch movies with my brain and I catch all these little innuendos and does this completely illustrate what we've seen in the last week between between confirmation hearings, between uh, executive orders being argued in courts and uh, appellate courts, everything that's going on, it's all a bunch of lawyer mumbo jumbo BS. And uh, you know, it's hey, we got a president trying to protect our country, and what's going on? We're arguing about little details, and we've got a cabinet trying to get confirmed, and we got a bunch of politicians arguing little details it's nauseating but it's fun and it gives me something to talk about every week so before i go on let me introduce myself my name's ed hoffman president wholesale capital corporation your local local direct mortgage lender with offices here throughout southern california if you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're calling from your work and you're stealing time from your boss, wait till your government-mandated 15-minute break or your government-mandated lunch hour before you've been there for five hours or else they pay you time and a half for your lunch hour. Go on to WCCLoans.com. we got all kinds of mortgage information. If you want to apply for a loan, get some information, go to the Loan Center tab, click on Apply Now. Tell me how much information you want to give me and tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my teammates, and uh, we'll contact you in any form of communication you like. Uh, Telephone, home phone, work phone, cell phone, text, emails, Telegraph, smoke signals, anything you want, we'll call you and we'll uh, we'll uh, make sure you get the the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if you want to, uh, if there's any part of the show you want repeated, go to edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page, listen to it on demand anytime you want, or you can go to uh, 
uh, get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes where you can actually uh, subscribe to it, have it download to your uh, your phone or your computer or whatever device you listen to podcasts on uh, and play it anytime you want. I hope you'll join me for our first annual WCC Charities Gala and Auction on the 25th of this month. That's coming up in two weeks. It's going to be at the Victoria Club in the, hold on, the beautiful Victoria Club in Riverside. We're raising money for some great wounded veterans causes. It's going to be a fun night. It's going to be fun, fun, fun. We're going to raise some time, raise some money. It's a, it's a red, it's a red, uh, red tie event, meaning uh, ladies, Put on your red dress, and men put on a suit with the red tie, so you match. So the pictures will look good. Uh, if you want, if you want tickets, they're 125 bucks a piece, or a table of eight for for a thousand. We're gonna have uh, auctions. It's gonna be a gourmet dinner, and we're gonna have some entertainment. It's gonna be fun, fun, fun. Go to go to wcccharities.org if you want to learn more about it. Call my assistant Shelly. Also at 855-640-2020. If you'd like to purchase t- tickets, I'd love to meet all of you there. Um, uh, be sure to connect our, with our show on social media. Follow me at Twitter uh, on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. And like the show on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the main event Ed Hoffman. I guess there's somebody else using the main event besides me. I thought I had the thought I had the copyright on that. And uh, hopefully, thinking of copyrights, hopefully I'll get back my sticks uh, my sticks intro by next week. Uh, as uh, apparently there's some uh, new sheriff in town in the music industry. So anyway, let's talk about what's going on because I got a lot to talk about and only a, only an hour to talk. So now that we have a Republican majority in the House and Senate, Democrats are finding out what it feels like to be overruled. There's uh, three examples this week on the Senate floor. As uh, Betsy DeVos was confirmed as the Secretary of Education, Jeff Sessions finally confirmed as our Attorney General, and lastly, uh, Tom Price as the Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services. The loudest mouth in the Senate, which is probably the loudest mouth in all of politics, maybe the loudest mouth on the face of the planet, Except, well, the loudest mouth that isn't attached to a brain. I guess I should have used that uh, clip from uh, The Wizard of Oz. Um, the loudest mouth in the Senate was uh, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, also known as Pocahontas. And uh, they tried they tried to block every nomination. She tried to block every nomination over the past couple weeks. Senator Warren put on a big show during uh, during uh, Betsy DeVos's last confirmation hearing with a question designed to make her look unfit to be the Secretary of Education. Mrs. DeVos, do you have any direct experience in running a bank? Senator, I do not. Uh Uh-huh. Do you have you ever managed or overseen a trillion-dollar loan program? I have not. How about a billion-dollar loan program? I have not. Okay. So no experience in managing a program like this. How about participating in one? I think it's important for the person who is in charge of our financial aid programs to understand what it's like for students and their families who are struggling to pay for college. Mrs. DeVos, have you ever taken out a student loan from the federal government to help pay for college? I have not. Uh, Have any of your children had to borrow money in order to go to college? They have been fortunate not to. Uh Uh-huh. Have you had any personal experience with a Pell Grant? Uh, Not personal experience, but certainly friends and um, students with whom I've worked. So you have have no personal experience with college financial aid or management of higher education? You know what? Is education about education or is it about doing loans? Because I do, I do almost a billion dollars of loans every single year, and I've been doing it for 27 years. So uh, let's see, $27 billion. Am I fit to be the Secretary of Education? I would say not. Am I a college graduate? No, I'm a college dropout, just like 
the Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, other other losers like that. So uh, so you know what is is it seems to be all about borrowing money. It's all about do you know how to how to run student loans? And quite frankly, I think that's what's wrong with education. It's not about teaching the kids. I think I told a story uh, last week or the week before about uh, someone I know who former Navy SEAL who teaches a a a class on. Uh, on leadership down at uh, U- uh, University of California, San Diego. And he said, in education, it's all about uh, uh, getting people to, it's all about getting people to come to your school and making money. And I said, whoa, wait, isn't it about education? No, that's a whole nother argument. It's not about educating kids. It's about spreading that money because this, the teachers unions are the strongest power, the strongest union, the strongest form in the mafia in the whole country. And that's, and we finally have a, have a secretary of education who actually, understands that and it's about education it's not about the money but but uh, Pocahontas there seems to want to uh wants to steer everything in the wrong direction that was two weeks ago and uh, this bunch of democrats stayed up all night monday night making speeches to each other about why they should oppose uh betsy devos's confirmation they included al franken chuck schumer patty murray and the republicans uh and republican susan collins of maine and lisa murkowski of alaska i think Susan Collins, I think, of Maine, and uh, and I don't know about Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, but I think isn't Susan Collins one of the ones that we thought we thought we were gonna move over to the Democrat Party? I think we talked about that several months ago. But their plan backfired because the vote ended up being 50-50 tie. That meant the vice president, who's basically uh, presides over the Senate, is kind of the president of the Senate, was asked to come in and break the tie. Here's Mike Pence. This vote, the yeas are 50, the nays are 50. The Senate being equally divided, the vice president votes in the affirmative and the nomination is confirmed. I love that. So next, Elizabeth Warren went on to blocking the confirmation of Jeff Sessions. In a bizarre 51-minute speech Tuesday night, Pocahontas ranted about Senator Sessions being, uh, what else, a racist and Islamophobic, of course. Where are the senators who will say no to the nomination of Senator Jeff Sessions as Attorney General of the United States? Senator Sessions made a special name for himself for being a particularly vitriolic opponent of common sense immigration policies. He's called Islam a toxic ideology and a threat to our nation. Despite the plain language of the Constitution, Senator Sessions doesn't think that children born in the United States should automatically become citizens. He wants to round up and deport dreamers who were brought to the United States as kids. Does all that sound familiar? Well, it should, because Senator Sessions was an early and energetic supporter of then-candidate Donald Trump. Yeah, it's not. It's not about. Yeah, you're gonna. You're running. You're gonna be the attorney general of the United States. It's not about enforcing the law. It's not about protecting our country from bad guys. Which, in my eyes, which in my eyes is the only thing the government's supposed to do is protect us from our enemies and enforce the laws. It's about what are we doing for people that shouldn't be here to begin with? Because we don't want to send dreamers back because they have a dream. Well, they're not supposed to be here. Their parents broke the law bringing them here. Uh, We don't want to discuss that. We don't want to discuss about enforcing the law. Let's hear some more. A person who has exhibited so much hostility to the enforcement of those laws. The Senator is reminded that is a violation of rule 19 of the standing rules of the Senate to impute to another senator or senators any conduct 
or motive unworthy or becoming a senator? Uh, Mr. President, I don't think I quite understand. I'm reading a letter from Coretta Scott King to the Judiciary Committee from 1986 that was admitted into the record. I'm simply reading what she wrote about what the nomination of Jeff Sessions to be a federal court judge meant and what it would mean in history for her. This is a reminder, not pertinent necessarily to what you just shared. However, you stated that a sitting senator is a disgrace to the Department of Justice. So after about 49 minutes of, uh, of this, the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, handed the presiding officer, uh, and that's why he calls him the Mr. President. It's the presiding officer of the senator when the, the vice president's not there, Steve Daines, a note, and here's what happened next. In 2013, Senator Sessions voted against reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act, a bill that expanded the protections and services provided to victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. There's a piece from the Bedford Minuteman that really tells the story of how sexual violence impacts Massachusetts. And this is what it said. They are mothers, daughters, sisters, fathers, sons, and brothers. Mr. President. They are- Majority Mr. President. The Majority Leader. The senators impugn the motives and conduct of our colleague from Alabama as warned by the chair. Senator Warren, quote, said Senator Sessions has used the awesome power of his office to chill the free exercise of the vote by black citizens. I call the senator to order under the provisions of Rule 19. Mr. President. The senator from Massachusetts. Mr. President, I am surprised that the words of Coretta Scott King are not suitable for debate in the United States Senate. I ask leave of the Senate to continue my remarks. Is there objection? Object. I appeal the ruling. Object. Objection is heard. The Senator will take her seat. Bam! I love that. I love that. Hey, you know what? You can't, you know, the senators, we got 100 senators in this country, two from each state, and they have to apparently know this big rule book in Rule 19, uh, Section 2 says, no senator in debate shall directly or indirectly in any form of words impute, impute to another senator or to other senators any conduct or motive unworthy of or unbecoming to a senator. So in other words, while you're in the on the Senate floor, while you've got the microphone there, you're not allowed to... to to insult the other senators, you argue. You argue your the the warrant the 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 merits of whatever you're arguing, but you don't take shots at other senators. And this lady is vile. And thank God that you know the only th you know what everybody's mad, mad about in this election is Democrats got their got their uh, their their ideology wrong, and Republicans got their ideology right, but they won't do anything with it. And now we've got a. Now we finally have a government that is actually going to do something and stand up for what's right. And I loved it. I loved it a lot. So unfortunately for the Democrats, Sessions was confirmed by the Senate Wednesday night, sworn in Thursday morning. Minutes later, he was asked how the Justice Department will support Trump on combating illegal immigration. And here's what we Jeff need: Sessions. a lawful system of immigration, one that serves the interests of the people of the United States. 
That's not wrong, that's not immoral, that's not indecent. We admit a million people a year plus who lawfully and having, we need to end this lawlessness that threatens the public safety, pulls down wages of working Americans. And as soon as Sessions was confirmed, the names of senators who voted to confirm him was released. Uh, African-American Republican Senator Tim Scott of Florida began receiving hateful messages on Twitter. Surprise, Senator Scott read some of those from the House floor on Wednesday. You are a disgrace to the black race. You are an Uncle Tom Scott. You're for Sessions. How does a black man turn on his own? I'm a complete horror. A black man who is a racist against black people. A big Uncle Tom piece of fertilizer. I left out all the ones that used the N-word. Just felt like that would not be appropriate. The liberal left that speaks and desires for all of us to be tolerant do not want to be tolerant of anyone that disagrees with where they are coming from. Yep, it sounds it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Congressman Mark DeCano, who's a congressman that represents Riverside, Moreno Valley, and Paris, and how he's all about inclusion as the the first openly gay man of color to be elected to the Congress, as he calls himself, and he wants to be tolerant of of everybody of different colors and different all uh, sexual persuasions and uh, but when his party didn't win the election and we had Donald Trump being inaugurated he chose to to uh, to boycott the inauguration and absolutely discredit everything you know tolerance and tolerance and inclusion where it's only it only works when it's going your way so you know what I think uh, the hypocrisy of the of the Democrats is the hypocrisy of most of the Democrats I see. I'm sure there's some good Democrats out. I'm sure there's some some of you out there that are registered Democrat and you just didn't re-register. You've actually grown up and become a Republican. You just haven't changed your your uh, registration. Uh, some people don't say, you know, people, I have some arguments with some people I say, hey, don't, don't look now. You're arguing li- the conservative values, but you're telling me you're a Democrat. Uh, I don't know about that. So, so then uh, lastly, it was uh, Tim Price was confirmed. This week, as uh, as uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and uh, let's just point out who who is out there babbling in the confirmation hearing. Guess what? It was Pocahontas Senator Elizabeth Warren. Congressman Price, more than 100 million Americans now receive their health care through Medicare and Medicaid programs. These are seniors, people with disabilities, middle class families who have parents in nursing homes, countless numbers of young children, and they all benefit from these programs. So I want to understand the changes to Medicare and Medicaid that you have already proposed. The budget that you recently authored as chair of the House Budget Committee would have cut spending on Medicare by $449 billion over the next decade. Is that right? I don't have the numbers right in front of me, I, but what I we're trying... numbers. What, well, then I assume you're correct. All what, right. What so you said you'd cut it by 400, Medicare, cut Medicare by $449 billion. Your FY17 budget proposal also would have cut Medicaid funding that goes to the state governments by more than one 
trillion dollars. Is that correct? You know, I think, Senator, the, the, the metrics that we use for the success of these programs is not necessarily easy, whether yes the no. amount of money into it is, is, is what we want to cut dollars for Medicaid? What we believe is appropriate is to... Do you want me to, to read you the number out of this? No, I'm sure you're correct. What we believe is appropriate is to make certain that the individuals receiving the care are actually receiving care. I, I understand care. why you think you're right to cut it. I'm just asking the question. Did you propose to cut more than a trillion dollars out of Medicaid over the next 10 years? You, you have the numbers before you. Is that a yes? You have the numbers before you. I'll take it as a yes. Can you can you see can you see where she's going? She doesn't want to let anybody explain what's going on. Instead of saying, "Hey, you know what? Our health our health uh, health and health uh, care programs are not efficient, and we're going to cut a trillion and a half dollars out of out of the budget and still give these people care because there's money being disquandered and embezzled and and just extorted and you know, just wasted. It's all about you're cutting money out of the budget and that equals you're doing something bad. You know what? That's why, that's why, that's why Trump is elected now because we need to run this country. Like the government needs to spend our money. Like it's theirs instead of just taking our tax money and just not even caring where it goes. Well, all you did was cut a trillion dollars out. You know what? We might get to have some tax cuts if we stop wasting money. And we got a guy who's actually a doctor who's going to run the health and human services department. And he said, hey, we're more concerned with that. Are people are people getting the care that we're paying for as opposed to are we spending all the money we can get? I think it's uh, I think you can see where Elizabeth Warren is. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, if that's uh, who the who the Democrats are going to put up for president in four years, uh, I think Trump's got a second term already. So uh, let's talk real quick. Got a few minutes left. Uh, this week, there's some usual uh, plenty of friction between Trump and the media. Started with Trump's Super Bowl Sunday interview with Bill Bill O'Reilly. I know it's been a few day, few days since it happened, but if you follow me on Twitter, you know I've been what I've been waiting all week long to talk about. Do you respect Putin? I do respect him. Do you? Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. He's a leader of his country. Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and Islamic terrorism all over the world, Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. We get a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? You think our country's so innocent? I don't know of any government leaders that are killers. Well, take a look at what we've done, too. We've made a lot of mistakes. I know of a government leader who's a, who's a killer. Uh, try Bill and Hillary Clinton. Oh, that's two of them. Uh, you know what? If you, if you go to my website, edhoffman.net, there's a page called Clinton Casualties. We talked about this on the radio a few months ago, and since then, there's been an unlimited amount of people asking for a, a list of them. We posted it on the website. It says Clinton Casualties. From 1977 up until about three weeks before the election, we have a list of 53 different people who just showed up dead. Oh, I don't know. Hey, I wrote, wrote something bad about Hillary Clinton, and I had this and blah, 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 and next thing you know, he's dead. Or people that uh, re reported some things to WikiLeaks and walking home from their office in uh, at the at the uh, Democrat National Committee and 
you know, hey, he got robbed, he got shot in the back, and they didn't take his watch, and they didn't take his money, and they didn't take anything else. But it was a robbery. I don't think so. You know, it just it's just a, a it's just a, a coincidence. It's just a mystery. I don't know how these people came up dead, but they all had something on Bill or Hillary Clinton. So the next day, uh, so go to edhoffman.net, look at the Clinton casualties link down at the bottom of the of the page, and you'll take it to you the Clinton casualty page. The next day, Trump told a crowd at McDill Air Force Base this. All over Europe, it's happening. It's gotten to a point where it's not even being reported. And in many cases, the very, very dishonest press doesn't want to report it. They have their reasons, and you understand that. And uh, you know what? Uh, O'Reilly posted a poll on uh, the O'Reilly Factor this week that they did a poll of uh, people in uh, Great Britain about if they think the open borders uh, policy in in the European Union should continue. And uh, 55% of the people said no. 20% of the people said yes, and the other 25 people would not answer. Does that tell you something about how they feel about uh, the the way the open borders are and what's happening going on? There's a lot of stuff that Trump is saying that may not be politically correct, but it's the truth, and it's, we're sending the truth that way. Hey, coming up in part two, I got Joey Jones uh, joining me to talk about some Homeland Security stuff, and uh, we'll be right back with part two of the main event. Don't go away. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about mortgages and financing on the on this show because it's not as interesting as what's going on in this country. But if you need some and you want to talk to someone who thinks like you, 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And uh, we'll talk. So on the line, I got my buddy, uh, Johnny Joey Jones. For those of you that uh, don't know Johnny, uh, Johnny Joey, uh, if you haven't been listening, been listening long, long, Joey was a, uh, EOD disposal, uh, explosives ordinance disposal tech in the Marines. Um, found out, I guess he diffused his, uh, his 81st, his 81st, uh, bomb, uh, manually and, uh, lost a couple of legs. And since then, since his medical retirement from the Marines, he has, uh, pretty much dedicated his life to, uh, to helping wounded veterans and veterans causes. And that's how Joey and I met. And, uh, as part of a organization called the boot campaign, now he's a part of, uh, uh, now you see him on Fox News doing military an- a- uh, analysis, and uh, he's on our show regularly. Joey, welcome back to the main event. Hey, man, how's it going? Thanks for having me on today. Hey, it's uh, it's always going good in in uh, at the main event here. We're always we're always having fun. We're watching what's happening in this country, and we're uh, and we're reacting to it. So, hey, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to have you on uh, while we're talking about things that are uh, related to military and homeland security because i know you have a have a unique a unique uh perspective on it because of of your history and your experiences and and so you guys know that uh you were in the marines for how long i was in the marine corps for eight years uh two deployments uh well really two and a half i, I was in iraq in 07 they kept me on for a while in 08 and then i went to afghanistan back in 2010 that's where i had my legs explosively removed and uh, made my way back to the states after that. And um, and so everybody knows Joey's thirty. This guy is is not your average thirty year old, and I'm fifty five. So sometimes when we when we discuss things, we have similar perspectives but different perspectives, and I attribute that to the fact that I'm fifty five and he's thirty. Uh, but I but I 
I thoroughly enjoy getting your, your point out. So let's talk about it. This week, uh, our new Secretary of Homeland Security, General John Kelly. Do you know? Have you ever met John Kelly? You know, I, I've been trying to decide if I've met him. I was very intimately aware of the story of his son and uh, actually recovered with a, with a young man that was close to his son. And I can't piece together if I ever met him at Walter Reed or not. I know he's made frequent trips there. So he looked very familiar when, when he first was nominated. There's a chance I met him either at Walter Reed, the Pentagon, or on Capitol Hill, but I just don't know it. So if you met him, it wasn't as memorable as when, when you, uh, your interactions with, uh, with uh, General Mattis. No, not at all. And, and and I would argue there isn't really anyone out there who who leaves the kind of uh, memory General Mattis does. I've got stories for, for days on him and, and um, very honored. And his reputation was already starting to become folklore by the time I was injured in D.C. and could really spend time around him. So, yeah. Yeah, I, know, I don't know if uh... – I don't know if we talked about this on the radio uh, one time, or if I, or if we were just on the phone when you talked about the fact that he has a uh, a bearskin rug in his house. <laughs> no, no, that's. Uh, I think that's something that uh, that one of those Navy SEALs said that there's a bearskin rug in his house, and it's not dead; it's just afraid to move. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So. Uh, yeah. So uh, General John Kelly testified before House Homeland Security Committee on some of the most controversial issues of the Trump presidency so far. He's giving his thoughts on the Mexican border wall. Let's listen. They very definitely said, yes, sir, we need a physical barrier backed up by people like us, meaning CVP and local law enforcement. Uh, with with uh, um, technology where it's appropriate. What's your timeline? Do you think that you'll have it uh, secured? Well, I mean, it's it's hard to say. It depends, actually, you know, on funding and all the rest of it. But uh, I'd like to see uh, that that we would be well underway within two years. And when, then, when he was asked about taking away federal funding from sanctuary cities, Kelly had this common sense response. We are giving grants to an organization, to a police department, or or, um, or a city specifically to help us in the execution of, of uh, you know, say, ICE's mission, and that is not being done, it would seem to me it makes there's no point in then giving grants to the, to the city to, to execute that. But again, if, if we're specifically given grants for cooperation for removal of illegal aliens and a given department city is no longer doing that, it, would, it seems irresponsible for me to continue giving them money. I would agree with that, uh, Joey, on the wall or the pulling federal funding. What's your take? Kelly is so plainly spoken, and it's so easy to understand. He's, he's so good at connecting A to B, and I, can, I attribute that to his Marine Corps background, um, even on his comments about the, about the, the ban. And, um, but, but it, Which we're uh, going to get to in just a second. Thing. Yeah, exactly. But in those comments, they are just explaining you know, a very plain spoken way of you know, we have people arguing on CNN over this or Fox, and he's very plainly saying, listen, if we're giving you money specifically to remove illegal immigrants or criminal illegal immigrants, and you're not doing it, then you don't get that money. Um, and so, that I, you know, I love the way he speaks about things, and I think that he is right now today one of the best tools in President Trump's toolbox. I think uh, I think people are – I know that there was in Riverside, uh, which is very close to where we are, had a had a rally the other night to make Riverside a sanctuary city. And I'm just going, give me a break. You guys want to see property? You want to see property values go down? Let's just fight the federal government here in California and lose <laughs> lose our federal funding. And and I, 
I don't know if they're talking about just the part that they get for uh, for enforcing laws, or if say, hey, you're not enforcing federal laws, you don't get federal money. Period. And I think that's that's legal. But the most talked about part of Kelly's testimony is what he said about the rollout of the travel ban from uh, seven Muslim countries. When Congressman Mike McCall asked Kelly if if he could have rolled out the executive order differently, here's Kelly's response. The desire was to get it out. The thinking was to get it out quick uh, so that uh, potentially people that might be coming here to harm us would not take advantage of some period of time that uh, they could jump on an airplane and get here um, or uh, get here in other ways. And I and I was quite frankly, I was amazed as part of the testimony that we don't we didn't play here because I don't think it should be on. They were talking about ways that that uh, that Homeland Security would vet people from countries that don't keep that close of uh, close of uh, uh, of records on their people and talking about using social media. And I thought, you know what, that's just what you want to do is broadcast it to the whole world. How we're doing these things. Do you believe the ban needs to needs to be uh, however, however it's. It's uh, adjusted. Do you believe it? It needs to be. Well, let's talk about what the ban is and why we have it. General Kelly explained it very well. I just read it on the internet again before I jumped on the phone with you. Very simply, these are seven countries that do not properly vet people. And the other aspect here that we're not talking about on the refugee side is that we don't play a role in vetting the refugees that come to the UN. We allow the UN to do that. So we play, we have absolutely no role whatsoever in the vetting process for the refugees from those countries. So what we do know is the country of origin has has insufficient vetting, if any at all. Then on top of that, the UN, which I don't trust to carry the trash out, is the only one vetting them for us. So they're having half the vetting of any other person coming through. So if Trump would have written an executive order that says, the U.N. and said country's vetting process is insufficient to United States standards, and until they get those sufficient these ways, people cannot travel here from those countries, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. But because on the campaign it was a Muslim ban, and then we rolled it out like, you know, in the 11th hour uh, Obamacare, now we've got people talking and even court judges ruling on something based on rhetoric and hearsay rather than what we're actually trying to do. And we don't have anyone out there explaining it properly. I think I'm going to quote former presidential candidate and current HUD secretary, Ben Carson, when I saw Ben Carson speak. And his very first words of his speech were, political correctness is going to destroy our country. And uh, and I know that it's the liberal media that's that's running with this because... Most people don't pay attention to what Trump says because they are busy watching the Rams or the Lakers or the or the or the uh, I guess, or the or the Patriots and the Falcons and they're not uh, and they're not even paying attention to the stuff that actually means something in this country and all they hear are the the sound bites and the little quotes on the internet and uh, yeah. and I think and I think we could have got somebody who's a little bit more politically correct that wouldn't be doing half the stuff that Trump's getting done. I think there is a line between political correctness and and clarity. And so he needs – I don't care if he's politically correct, especially if I agree with him on a point. But it needs to come with clarity and without the pomp and circumstance. There's mm-hmm. a difference between political correctness and showmanship. He became president with showmanship, but I don't see a need for it now. You know, I see these veterans jump all over Senator McCain because they're they're on the Trump train so much. And it was really hurtful to me to see veterans, you know, attacking each other on social media because 
we're still in campaign mode where it doesn't matter if you're offended even as a veteran and a conservative by something he says or the way he says it or attacking a man's character who spent seven years mm-hmm. being tortured, that, that we feel like we have to make an excuse for everything that comes out of that Twitter account and out of his mouth. If he were George W. Bush and this were 20 years ago uh, or however many years ago, I, I still wouldn't feel the need to defend everything. I mean, and I very much strongly support or supported George W. Bush and still do as a, as a human being. So, he, you know, George W. Bush had the political correctness. Doesn't mean I supported every policy and word that came out of his mouth. And we're so divided now that we have this kind of vindication within us. And it, before it was for Hillary or the Supreme Court. But now we don't have that anymore looming over our heads. So why do we still feel the need to defend every out of word and every tweet? Instead, we should be calling President Trump and everyone that represents our views to be to represent us in every way. Um, and so when something comes out that didn't need to be said or didn't need to be tweeted or I just quite frankly disagree with, I'm going to respectfully take issue with it publicly so that the rest of America knows, hey, we still have a standard. You know, and we, and we still feel we're, we haven't completely hung up everything that we're uh, that, that we're that we have conviction on over one candidate and now one president. We agree with him on enough things that we're going to get some good stuff done. And uh, that's the way every president should be treated. So I don't want to see the pendulum swing back the other way. And and, and so that's kind of where I am with it, I guess. In a well, I think, uh, I think uh, that's kind of where the media is taking this is everything he says, they pick apart the details instead of say, hey, he's protecting our country. He's protecting our country. And whether he said it right or didn't say it right, all we're hearing about is, all we're hearing about is, oh man, look what he said. And you know, quite frankly, I'm I'm all for freedom of religion, all that stuff. But there's only one religion out there that wants to kill everybody else, and that's and that's the the religion of Islam. And and that's you know, people got to hey, let's let's be let's be real about this. You know what? Jewish people don't don't want to kill kill Muslims. You know, I like what Dennis Prager said uh, on his Prager University thing. If the if the if the if the Palestinians laid down their weapons, there'd be peace in the Middle East. And if the Israelis laid down their weapons, they'd all be dead. So I mean, there's there is. Let's be real. We have a problem with Muslims, with people, with the uh, Islamic, with the Islamic. Uh, uh, I don't even want to call it a religion because it doesn't seem like a religion to me. It's a it's a way it's a way of life, and it's kill the infidels. Is ninety percent of, of of it's not it's not talking about worshiping worshiping a god and being a good person and doing all that stuff it's hey if you don't believe this you're dead i mean that's let's be real and i and i think completely that you know let's focus on the fact that president trump's actually going to say we're going to call it what it is and let's stop the people coming in let's stop the people coming in until we can figure out how we can effectively separate the 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 bad guys from the good guys well, and if he'll say it just that way, then then we'll be in a good place. Um, yeah, I thought that's it, a- you know, I'm still waiting. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and so we're going to get it done either way. And the media, I'm not taking up for the media or even taking their side. But I'm saying, listen, what's the more effective way of presenting your message? If we had General Kelly's words coming out of our president's mouth, then everyone on the Trump train would be happy, and we might win over a few of the other people. So the argument that anti-political correctness is a way to win, sure, but only when it's necessary or when it has a, there's a purpose behind it. And where we are now, we need the rest of the country to quit attacking, including judges, 
to quit attacking an executive order that doesn't invoke religion and doesn't uh, segregate that way, an executive order that in its entirety talks about vetting and talks about keeping our country safe. And that's, that's what we need people focused on. And the only one who can get them there is the president of the United States in the words he chooses. And in that way, I'm frustrated. Now, with that being said, like you said, he might be the only president we could have had that would have had the gumption to write this executive order. And I do appreciate that. And that's the reason why I voted for him. Okay. Okay. So let, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the travel ban and, uh, and basically what's happened this week. So last week, last week, the state of Washington and Minnesota filed lawsuit against Trump administration in an attempt to have the ban lifted. Uh, then the federal district judge in Washington state presiding over the case ruled to put a hold on the ban last Friday. Naturally, the federal government appealed the decision and then so this week, three judges in the Ninth, Ninth District, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals heard arguments from both sides, lawyers representing the Washington state and lawyers representing the Department of Justice on behalf of the federal government, also known as the Trump administration. Let's hear a bit of the arguments from both sides, starting with the attorney representing Washington state. Listen to him claim that there, were, there was irreparable harm done to the people in Washington state on the one day that the ban was rolled out. We had students and faculty at our state universities who were stranded overseas. We had families that were separated. We had uh, we had uh, longtime residents who could not travel overseas to visit their families without knowing that they would be uh, able to come back. Uh, we had lost tax revenue. Yeah, and I, and I wonder how much lost tax revenue and how there was only 109 people being denied entry at the airports cross country. How many of them were there in the Washington state? Uh, two, three, five, uh, probably not that many. Let's hear what the Justice Department, uh, the, the, the pro-Trump side, argued and pointed out that the whole concept of singling out seven Muslim-majority countries actually started with the Obama administration. In 2015 and 2016, both Congress and the administration made determinations that it, these seven countries posed the greatest risk of terrorism. The president determined that there was a real risk. That's why the president determined that the best course was a temporary, it's, it's a short halt in, uh, in uh, entry for 90 days while these procedures are looked at. And that's understandable. Uh, the president comes into office with an obligation to protect the national security of our country. So basi- basically, Obama identified these, these countries as a risk but never did anything about it. I like where Trump came out Wednesday morning and actually just read the law. It's really incredible to me that we have a court case that's going on so long, and it couldn't have been written any more precisely. It's not like, oh, gee, we wish it were written better. If I find as president that a person or a group of people will be detrimental to the interests of the United States, He may, by proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate. So you can suspend, you can put restrictions, you can do whatever you want. And this is for the security of the country. But I have to be honest that if these judges wanted to, in my opinion, uh, help the court in terms of respect for the court, 
They do what they should be doing. And I don't ever want to call a court biased, so I won't call it biased. And we haven't had a decision yet. But courts seem to be so political, and it would be so great for our justice system if they would be able to read a statement and do what's right. And that has to do with the security of our country, which is so important. Uh, Joey, your your comments. I mean, it seems to me it seems to me that the the law is pretty clear, and I know that I know that he's he's backpedaling a little bit because he obviously didn't make it as clear as he as he should have when when they rolled it out. But I think in my eyes, in my eyes, I like the fact that we have a president that's actually doing something rather than doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. I appreciate I appreciate the concept of the ban and the idea of getting in front of it. And and I think, quite honestly, it comes down to a focus on fulfilling campaign promises and being able to tout fulfilled the most promises the quickest or something like that in American history. I think that that's where some of the motivation came from. Again, it's it's very disheartening that it wasn't rolled out in a, in a way that um, that allowed the the actual order that was written to invoke language specific to a vetting process and give um, and give the onus of the of of attacking the ban on on those words rather than than um, essentially what it comes down to which is why these seven countries and or who has standing to go against this ban so really uh, really quickly you know every pundit out there said hey they need to go and they need to show how these states don't have standing in this case and standing being are they the ones, the ones who brought the lawsuit, are they the ones being hurt? And so these states brought in a case on behalf of businesses, universities, and citizens within the state, but not the actual people themselves. And unfortunately, you know, as much as we want to say the court was biased, and I listened to the oral arguments of both sides live, and, um, and unfortunately the judge, you know, basically discredited one of the cases that the Justice Department brought forth is showing the reason why Washington State didn't have standing, because in that case, the person, the immigrant being discussed, his wife bought forth the paperwork, not the, not, not the person themselves, similarly to the state of Washington. So point being, I think legally it comes down to who has the best lawyers. I think politically, if it makes its way to the Supreme Court and Gorsuch is there, Trump wins. And I really I think it's that simple. I think yeah. legally it comes down to who puts together the best argument, because the, the backing there, either the court cases or legislation, can support either side. Yeah, and, ob- and obviously the the ninth district made their decision to uphold the the suspension. Judge Napolitano, Andrew Napolitano, commented this on on this Thursday night. This is a an intellectually dishonest piece of work that the Ninth Circuit has produced tonight because it essentially consists of substituting the judgment of three judges for the President of the United States when the Constitution unambiguously pro- uh, uh, gives this area of jurisdiction, foreign policy, exclusively to the President. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's it's a shame. It's a shame that that we're arguing. Uh, arguing technicalities in the law as opposed to, hey, do we need to protect our country or we don't? It, it's hard for me. I, I want to say I agree with you, Ed, absolutely. But I have to think from a legal mind because that's how, that's how I think. And I look at it as if this executive order somehow invoked U.S. citizens abroad and then what type of constitutional 
um, um, riots would be in play? Does the president have the authority to stop U.S. citizens in Japan, per se, because now they're an enemy and they've been there for more than a year from coming into our country? So I'm going to give the court a little bit more faith than most conservatives in, in political you know, analysis will and say if they're ruling on the constitutionality of our, our president and, and worried about setting a precedent that could come back to bite United States citizens in the future, then I can see where they're coming from. Unfortunately, that's really not what they're putting out there. I think it is highly politicized, and I hope that um, I hope that cooler heads prevail, and I hope that uh, I hope that either through the appellate court or the Supreme Court, we find some way um, to back our president in this because I think it sets a political tone for at least the next four years. We need again. I wish the rollout were better. I wish the rhetoric were better, and I wish this had been a success from the beginning because I think it's important for the other things that I want to see this president do over the next four years. And I think, and I think also that this was a executive order. They didn't pass a law. It was an executive order and it was a temporary suspension and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a ban. It was a temporary suspension. And I think with something like that, they could say, these people are actually U S citizens. They've been over there. These people can, can pass through the line and it, you know, Hey, they could be over at the airport saying, Hey, wait, wait, we have, have an exception here. These people are American citizens. They're over there. They're stuck. And someone and someone could make a make a decision. I know I know it makes an inconvenience the day it rolled out because nobody knew how to do it. But I think the the spirit of the spirit of what they're doing was in the right spot. No, absolutely. But what we've learned, if anything, in the last few weeks is is you know intentions aren't what matters in politics. Not today. Probably not in the last quite a few years and uh, we're seeing the ugly side of that unfortunately right now and the best we can hope for is either through through courts or through our department of homeland security and other ways they can work we keep our country safe well thank uh, thank god our president was smart enough to surround himself with the right cabinet members are you, can we agree on that oh absolutely i don't think we disagree on that at all Hey, well, I know I know you got to run, and we're out of time for the this uh, this section of the of the main event. And I want to talk to you later because I know you're going to look at houses, and we've been talking about your house hunt, and that's something where I'm more of an expert than you. And I've been I know been helping you with this, and I want to after after the whole uh, story plays out, I want to I want to talk about it because I don't think what you're going through is is unique to you. I think it's something that ever a lot of people go through and nobody talks about until they get in that situation. Absolutely, I can't thank you enough for the help either. You probably saved me. You saved me $30,000 already, so without even us talking again. So I really appreciate it. All right. Hey, I'm all out of time for this episode of The Main Event. Thanks for listening to The Main Event. My name's Ed Hoffman, and I'll be back again with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate. Broker license number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB number 096199.